about it. It's lovely to be with you. I've been away for a little while and uh, I haven't been in the pulpit for quite some time. So it's really a delight to be with you. And if you have your Bible, come with me into the book of Thessalonians. Chapter 3 we're in today as we continue this wonderful series that Pastor Timon and Graham and others have been leading us through. And uh, what a beautiful passage this is. And uh, when I first looked at this passage, I thought I'd sort of been ripped off. I thought it was like an in-between passage where there was really good stuff in the chapter before and really good stuff in the next chapter. And this was just sort of like a little bit to say goodbye to the last one and say hello to the new one. And then when I began to read it, I was just blown away as to the references to the Father, Son and Holy Spirit just in these few verses as we see the Godhead working powerfully. I was uh, really moved again as we see that beautiful triplet of faith, love and hope spoken about in these verses and worthy of a sermon they are. But today I wanted to take a moment of your time to have a look at verses 10 through 13 and speak about prayer. Because as Paul is speaking about the wonderful joy of seeing the Thessalonican church really dig deep, this young church as they get on their feet, and the Spirit of God is working powerfully amongst them. And he's seeing that their faith and he's seeing their love and he's seeing their maturity. And he's full of thanks for that. As we read that and look at that, we see a lot about prayer. We see a lot about the heart of prayer and how God feels about prayer. And it's that that I want to highlight as much as there is so much more that we could speak about in the time that we have today. I want to ask you... What is the secret to a thriving life? What is the secret to having a church that is thriving? What is going to put us in a position where we're on the crest of the wave? What is going to put us in the place where God is revealing himself so powerfully in our personal lives and within our church family that everybody within our suburb, everybody within our city is noticing that there's something fresh and new happening? What's the secret to a thriving life? What's the secret to a thriving church. Let's pray and let's see if we can wrestle with that one. Father, thank you for these precious people and thank you for the privilege of meeting here today. We thank you for the family. We thank you for the body of Christ that you have brought together on this property and we're mindful of our brothers and sisters in the cafe and we pray as they minister around the word today, the same passage, that you would bless them and grow them and we thank you for them. Father, we thank you for the way you revealed yourself to us. And we ask this morning, as we pray, as we read, as we open your word now, that you would reveal yourself to us again. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer is essential to our lives. And if prayer is neglected, if it's left to others while we do what we often can think is the better work, it will lead to a stunted life. It will lead to a powerless life. It will lead to us living a one-dimensional life. And you may be like I was as I read this passage, challenged by that as I looked at my life, which is often powerless, which is often diminished, which is often one-dimensional. And the reality of it is that there is something missing in my life. There's something missing perhaps in your life. There's something missing in our church and it's right there in front of our faces and it's so easily neglected. But if we were to embrace it and cherish it, it will bring into our lives and into the life of our church the very presence of the Almighty God, which should take our breath away, 
to think that we can actually be in the presence of the Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and earth. His presence transforms everything, no matter how hopeless it is. When we are in the presence of the living God, not involved in a religious activity, but when we're actually in the presence of the living God, speaking to Him and engaging with Him and Him speaking to us, our lives are completely transformed by Him. You cannot be in the presence of God and not have your life change. Your situation may not change, but your very life will change when we come into the presence of the living God. Prayer is when human need meets the divine. Prayer is when our human need meets the divine. Prayer is when we come into the presence of the living God, when we actually move from where we are into the throne room, the Bible calls it, into the throne room of the very God. Beautiful passage, Hebrews chapter 4. It's up on the screen there for you. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Isn't that wonderful? Help in time of need. Do you get the picture in your minds if you'll come with me in your minds? But prayer enables us to be able to actually come physically into the presence of God. It enables us to spiritually enter the throne room of God. As we imagine in our mind's eye the Father in heaven on the throne, the glory of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ seated at his right hand. And through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have the capacity through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the price for us so that we can actually come into the very presence of God through prayer. Isn't that amazing? I've often imagined in my mind's eye when I'm praying of being able to boldly but with humility come into the very presence of the living God knowing that Jesus Christ is my advocate. Jesus will actually be there on my behalf bringing my prayers to the Father. And when then the Father hears those prayers, he's not some grumpy disconnected individual he's a compassionate God who loves us a loving father who then acts on those prayers through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives amazing thing prayer prayer is not a religious activity prayer is not some posture that we take you don't just have to be in a little darkened room and you've got to be down on both knees or you've got to be prostrate and if you don't do that, you're going to miss out somehow or other. Prayer can be prayed while you're driving your four-wheel drive on a beach. Prayer can be prayed while you're on the bus on the way home or the way to work. Prayer can be engaged in at any moment of our lives through the indwelling of God's Spirit. We can actually go into the presence of the living God and call upon His name and worship Him and he will engage with us. The Almighty will engage with us. Does that not thrill you? Isn't that amazing? That he would let people like us come boldly into his prayer. Father, we thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his death and resurrection that you've made it possible for us to come into your presence. And we come boldly. We come boldly into your presence with humility and with gratitude. We say thank you for what you've done for us. That you've enabled us to worship you in this way and father we pray you'll continue to speak to us today what a privilege to come to the lord in prayer andrew murray fabulous writer and a delightful man of god born in 1828 died in 1917 author of over 250 books many that were published after his death and said this about prayer there is one thing i think the church needs to learn it is that god means prayer are you reading with me 
I love this, that God means prayer to have an answer. Isn't that, like, we know that, but isn't that good to hear? God engages us. God says, I want you to pray to me, not just so that he doesn't answer us. God has engaged us and calls us to pray because God's desire is to answer our prayer. I think that's just fabulous. And it hath not entered into the heart of man to conceive what God will do for his child and who gives himself to believe that his prayer will be heard. God answers prayer. Can I get an amen to that? God answers prayer. The living God who invites us into his presence answers prayer. A day without prayer is a day without blessing. And a life without prayer is a life without blessing. Without power, I beg your pardon. Prayer is not an activity. Prayer is an expression of relationship. Prayer is not a religious activity. Prayer is something that intimately that God has given to us at great sacrifice and great price. Through the death and resurrection of his son, God has given us the gift of prayer. God has given us the gift of communing with him. God has given us the ability to come into his very presence and to see him and to hear from him and to speak to him and to experience his power and blessing in our lives. There's not one of us here today that does not need the blessing of God in their life. Who here does not need the changing power of God in their lives? Who is here does not have need of the very God himself? And yet oftentimes we feel totally disconnected. We don't know where to go or what to do. And the reality is that the living God is calling you to come before him in prayer and lay your life before him and meet him in that place. And you will not leave the same as you came in. Prayer outlives the lives of those who utter them. It outlives a generation, outlives an age, outlives a world. And the reason for that is that we pray to a God who is the beginning and the end. Prayer is not limited by us. Prayer is amazingly expansive because our God is eternal. Corrie Ten Boom said this beautiful thing. Is prayer your spare tire or your steering wheel? Carol was in the sewing room when I found this one and I was in the, uh, the office and I called out to Carol, can you hear me? And she said, yeah, I can hear you. And I said, have a listen to this quote from Corrie Ten Boom. And I read it out to her and she said, it's def- prayer is definitely your spare tire. She was, I, I don't know if you guys know how hard I've got it sometimes. I thought it was very, she actually didn't. She, you know what she actually said? She said, you know what, that's so touching. She said, I, she said, I often use prayer as a spare tire. When I, something goes wrong, I get out of the car and lift the boot open and get the tire out and change it. It's there in an emergency situation, but it's not a part of my life. And so what we're really saying is when we say that about ourselves, and I have to say that about myself, that prayer is often my spare tire, is that God is my spare tire, that my intimacy and my relationship with him is just a spare tire. If I treated my wife that way, we would be in trouble. If she treated me that way, we would be in trouble. Nobody likes to be treated like a spare tire. And God never designed prayer to be a spare tire. God designed prayer for us to be able to have fellowship and intimacy with him and to engage with his power, his transforming power. Max Licardo said these beautiful words, Our prayer may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of the prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. Amen?
So gone is the excuse that prayer is just for leaders, that prayer is just for the spiritual. Prayer is just for the prayer warriors. Prayer is for those who are mature in the faith. No, prayer is for everyone. Because it's not about the person praying, it's about the one whom we pray to. God never designed prayer just to be for leaders. God never designed prayer just to be for those whom we ordain as being spiritual. Prayer is a relationship with the living God who sent his son to die on our behalf. And it is for all of his children. And God wants to hear from every single one of us as we engage with him in prayer. So let's have a look at three aspects of prayer in the time that we have left. If you'll come with me in your Bibles, it'll be on the screen for you as well, all the scriptures that we're going to touch on. But let's jump into 1 Thessalonians. Gee, I have trouble with this. You must forgive me. I had a stroke about 12 years ago and ever since then there are certain words that I really battle to get out of my mouth. So show me some grace as I flop and flip around those words, will you? But let's come into Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. And here we read, Paul says, As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now let's look behind what's said and, and let's glean the character of prayer. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a man who... You would deem as religious, but a man who's been transformed by the presence of God. And he's been so transformed by the presence of God. This man who was articulate, educated, incredibly capable, and yet he had a deep dependence on God. He'd moved from being self-dependent to being completely dependent on God. And it's shown, even though he's not trying to show us, it's there for you to see. He prays night and day. One of the most gifted leaders we know of in Bible history. And yet he is so dependent on God, his prayer style, his spending time with God is characterized. I spend time with God. I spend time with the word of God. I spend time calling upon my father night and day. Many ministries are crippled by lack of prayer. There have been many, many fantastic churches and many, many uh, spiritual leaders but many of those spiritual leaders, as they get into the latter years of their life, will say as they look back over their ministries, I wish I had have prayed more. As they, look back over, as they look back over their lives, and I think most of us could do the same. We may not be great spiritual leaders, but I look back over my life and think, I wish I had prayed more. I wished I had have not done that religious exercise of getting down on my knees, but I wished I had have spent more time in the presence of God. And as we begin to expand what that really means, I hope that you will begin to feel the same. We need to be people who are earnest in prayer. And Paul says here that he, wanted to, he was praying for them night and day that he might supply what is lacking in their faith. In the ESV and the NIV, the word perfect is used here, that he might perfect their faith. And the understanding of that word is that, not that he was having a go at them, but what he was saying is that when we get saved, we get saved because the Holy Spirit has led us to a place and given us the faith to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, upon the gospel. And so we, by faith, believe in him and then receive the Holy Spirit in that act. And then day by day, we continue to live by faith. Every day, our faith 
is involved. Every day our faith is growing. And Paul's saying to this young church, I'd love to be able to come back, share more of the word with you, so that as you interact with God's word and the Holy Spirit, your faith begins to mature. Beautiful word. The word can be translated, I'd love to adjust your faith. I would love to equip you more. I would love to furnish your faith more. It's used in Mark chapter 1 and verse 9, the same word to perfect, to furnish, to adjust, is used of fishermen um, sewing up the holes in their nets. They're bringing their nets to perfection. Got a big shark swam through the middle of your net, and so the fishermen's on the shore, same word, Bring it to perfection by sewing it up. And what Paul is saying is that I wanted to teach you the word of God so that your faith would become perfect, your faith would be adjusted, your faith would mature. But really what he's saying is that as I pray for you, I recognize that for you to come to true faith, for you to grow in your faith, it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not just Paul praying, not Paul just going into a closet and muttering a few words up into the dark. What's happening here is the Apostle Paul, a child of God, is getting on his knees and he's praying to the Heavenly Father, please, mature their faith. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who's there on an advocate, brings that prayer to the Father as well. And the Father answers that prayer by the Holy Spirit engaging with those Thessalonians through the Word of God. And as they read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit matures their understanding and matures their faith. The engaging work of God. We need to be praying for one another that God might mature our faith, that God might save us from the religious activity of prayer and might help us to understand that it's important for us to go to God and call upon Him that He might mature us as a church. We've been getting together as an eldership and a leadership and thinking about uh, what we're going to do for 2021. What's going to be our focus in 2021? What's going to be our focus for the rest of this term? And one of those things that we want to focus on is becoming a church of prayer. Becoming a people who engage with the living God. Becoming a people who understand that the the honour it is for the child of God to be able to bow before the living God and call upon him. And in that process of worshipping the Lord that way, that actually helps us to grow our faith. So our prayer for you as leaders, and we want you to pray for one another. Let's be praying for one another. Please, God, grow our faith, mend our faith, perfect and mature our faith. Isn't that something precious to pray about? And I want you to see that this is an activity of prayer. It's one thing to study the Word of God. And don't for a moment think I'm diminishing that. There's no way that I could. But friends, prayer is essential. As we engage with the Word of God and prayer, the Holy Spirit perfects our faith. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. We're saved by faith. And then we do not abandon our faith after that. We're saved by faith and we live by faith. And our faith grows as we engage with life, as we engage with the Word of God, as we engage with Him through prayer. Our understanding of God grows and so our faith grows with that as well. You would know that to be true. You've been taken through circumstances in your lives that have been difficult and hard. You've suffered persecution at times. You've suffered affliction. 
And as you've wrestled with the Word of God, and as you've come before God in prayer, the Spirit of God has ministered to you and given you understanding of His circumstances and grown your faith. So that when you face those trials again later on, it's not as nearly as difficult as it was the first time because your faith has grown. In your Bibles, if you, have, you want to, you can flick forward to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. Because here, as Paul writes the second letter, he refers to his first prayer and, and the fulfillment of that prayer because he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. So the answer to that prayer, God, please grow their faith. And then as the second letter is written, he's able to testify, thank you, God. We see that your faith is growing abundantly. Let us be a church that's praying for one another, that our faith might grow, that our community might be able to witness. They are a people of faith. I don't know about you, but I need to mature in my faith. Is there anybody here that doesn't need to mature in their faith? How are we going to do that? We do that by coming in prayer before the living God and asking him to grow us in faith. Come with me down to verse 12. Paul prays the second prayer that I want us to touch on for a moment. He says in verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in... What does it say? That's, thank you very much. That's, I love it when you participate. It helps you not to fall asleep while I'm preaching. So I really love that. Paul's second prayer, that the Lord may increase and abound in love. You know what? You could put growing in faith down to a number of things. But I reckon that the abounding in love is definitely a work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. We learn in the book of Romans that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So when you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, when you believed upon him, when you became a child of God and the Holy Spirit indwelt you, as he indwelt you, so you received the love of God. And that love was not simply a small portion. You received all of the love of God and it was not designed for you just to keep in your chest or keep in your life. It was designed to overflow and express God's love to other people through the way you care for them. One of the things that we find with people is we often are very poor at expressing the love of God to one another. Marriages often suffer because a husband or a wife is too harsh with their spouse and not expressing the love of God. Not reflecting on what God has done for us and how he sent his son on our behalf and being so moved in our hearts by that, we cannot help but express that love to those around us. And so prayers, Paul's prayer is, please God, please I pray for this young fledgling church that you will help them to abound in love because this is a work of your Holy Spirit. Let your love abound in them. What a, what a wonderful prayer for us to be praying for one another in this community. Don't put your hands up, men, but which one of you as husbands here wouldn't be able to pray, Lord, please help my wife to love me more, okay? I can see you smiling. And now, wives, you get your turn. Only one hand. Don't put both hands up. I wish my husband would love me more. I wish my spouse, I wish my church members, I wish my family would love more. I wish that they would get, understand this, that they would understand what God has done for them and out of response of that, that they would let the love of God overflow. Does that make sense? 
okay? I've, had to, I've, I've often prayed this prayer as I've gone to resolve a, a, an issue of conflict. If I've hurt Carol and I haven't yet apologised and I'm coming home from work and I know that I need to put right what I did, I'll be praying, Lord, please, one, soften her heart towards me because I've, I've hurt her unfairly. But Lord, I pray too that you would help her to remind, remind her in her heart how much you love her and allow that love to overflow to me. And it's amazing when I've walked into those situations how wonderfully and kindly Carol has met me. And not only for Carol, but for others also. Again, we read in the latter part of 2 Thessalonians, or sorry, in the second letter, verse one, chapter 1, verse 3, we ought to always give thanks for you, he says, and the love of every one of you is increasing. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So Paul is recognizing that the Spirit of God is answering that prayer. Can you imagine if we prayed that prayer for one another? Can you imagine if we were committed to meeting with God in his throne room, face to face with him and praying for one another? Please, God, let our love increase for one another. What a wonderful church that would be. People would be looking into our church and saying they really love each other. And does not the scriptures tell us that the mark of a disciple is that we love one another as Christ has loved us? This is a work of the Spirit of God. Have a look here or up on the screen. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. So who teaches us to love? Is it our channel, TV channels? Is it, uh, what is it called, uh, Bridezilla or those bride shows? Is it the, uh, whatever it might be? Is it a book that we've bought? No, the Bible says that God's Holy Spirit, through the indwelling of the Spirit, teaches us to love one another. Just as it says in Romans, that love overflows so that we can care for one another. And our church is pretty awesome at this. The way that you get around and have got around through COVID and just found creative ways to express love to one another has been amazing. The way that you have prayed, the way you have cared has been very, very precious. Finally, come with me to verse 13 in the short time that we have together. Paul says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God, before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. This is especially precious. Do you see that the whole aspect of prayer and the whole aspect of us being holy is wrapped around the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, as Mike said earlier, is coming back. Amen? And he's coming back with his saints. The Lord Jesus Christ will return just as he's promised. And everybody will give an account. Everybody will give an account before him. He's coming back. What a joyous thing for the believer. What a terrifying thing for those who have not yet trusted. I was uh, speaking to a young man last week, 30 years of age. We were actually at a party together. Um, he asked me what I did for a living. And I told him that I was a Baptist pastor. And I thought, well, that's going to be the end of that conversation. I'll be able to go home. And uh, he said, oh, that's really interesting. He said, I'm a Catholic. And I said, oh, right. He said, and we got talking. He'd been to a Catholic school. He didn't know anything about Catholicism. He just was interested in what he understood to be religion. And as we spent time, I said to David, 
David, you do understand that Jesus Christ is real. And he questioned me over that because he couldn't understand how Jesus could be real. And I pointed him back to the book of John. But then I also challenged him and said, David, you do understand that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And he will hold you account for every word. And he'll hold you to account for every deed. And he took a step back, physically stepped back, and his face blushed. And he looked down and he said, yes, I know that. And, uh, but the hair stood up on my neck. He's coming back again. And Paul says here, we're praying for you. Even in the midst of your affliction and your struggle, even in the midst of your life, that you won't lose focus, that you won't forget that Jesus Christ is coming back again. Hallelujah. But let that be a motivation for us to humble ourselves before God in prayer and call upon him, Lord, enable me to be holy and blameless in this generation. Enable me to be a person who reflects that I truly believe that you are alive and that you have indwelt me with your spirit. But we are in deep trouble, aren't we? Because it says there that your hearts may be blameless in holiness. Put your hand up if you're blameless. I don't understand that. It doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Because my life is not blameless. But that's because we're not understanding the theology of this. The theology of this is that, yes, we make mistakes, but Jesus Christ's death upon the cross and his resurrection, the shedding of his blood, has paid the price for our past sin, our present sin, and our future sin. And has enabled us the ability to live a blameless and holy life together where we can be reconciled, as Michael spoke about earlier, to one another. Even though we fall short and we sin, God has enabled us to be forgiven and to forgive and to live with one another in a way that honors God. And this is the, the, the essence of what's behind this. We might be together a reconciled, redeemed community of people who believe the gospel and are expressing the love of God and the forgiveness of God as we live together. We're going to make mistakes. But then we need to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. We need to be able to express the love of God. And we need to do this. Why? Because Jesus Christ is coming back. And it could be today. We need to be a community of prayer. Because prayer is not a religious activity. Prayer is expressing relationship with God and we meet with Him. And when we meet with God, our lives are changed. We need to take stock and recognize Jesus is coming back. And for some of you, that's terrifying because you've been living a life where you come along to church and your religious act is awesome. You've been convincing everybody that you're okay, but in truth, you haven't spoken to him and you hardly know him. And that's terrifying. For some of you here today, you may not even know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never actually met him. You don't have him in your life. And if you don't have him in your life, you don't have life itself. And you will not meet him as a friend, you'll meet him as a judge unless you repent of your sins and trust him. And that opportunity is available for you right now through prayer. God has made it possible for you to be able to cry out to him and receive his forgiveness. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful thing? Through what Jesus Christ has done. The return of Christ is imminent. And we should be praying for one another. We should be praying that our faith is mature, that our love will grow, and that our conduct will be holy. 
1 John 3, 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If the Spirit of God has spoken to you today, when you thought upon the imminent return of Christ and our lack of prayer as a community, would you pray with me right now? I'd like you to stand with me, if you will, all of you, please, as we close. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and you've wanted to be able to pray to God to ask Him to forgive you, and you've wanted to receive Jesus as your Saviour, I'd like you to pray along with me as well. So I want to pray for both of you, because I've been in both those places. Let me pray and lead you for those of you that don't know Jesus Christ. Would you just humble yourself in prayer and pray along with me in your heart? Father in heaven, I thank you for sending your Son to pay a price that I could not pay so that I could be right with you again. I humble myself before you and ask you to forgive me of my sins. I invite you to take control of my life. I invite you in to be my Lord and Saviour. And I say thank you in Jesus' name. Those of us who have known the Lord for a long time, the reality is that now through what Christ has done, we can boldly come into the throne room of God. So in your mind's eye, I want you to picture our Heavenly Father, the glorious God, and the Lord Jesus Christ seated at his right hand, and we, through the empowering of the Spirit, can now come into the presence of the living God. So would you come boldly but humbly with me as we bow before him in our hearts and say thank you, God, for your great mercy to us. Thank you that you would be willing to hear our prayers and that you much more would be willing to answer our prayers. Thank you that you are the one who originates that. You are the one that's made that all possible. And we worship you and we praise you for your goodness towards us. And Father, we come to you and ask that you would make us a people of prayer. We pray that you would grow our awe of you so that we cannot but come before you in prayer. That we would be marked within this city as a people of prayer. A people who love to meet with the living God. You are altogether wonderful. And it's just beyond speech that we could come into your presence. Thank you for answering our prayers. Thank you for those that you have saved today. Thank you for those of us who have been far away and you have called to us again and made it possible for us to come back to you. We say thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.